guys, it's Basic Snitches, and it's just me, Tara, this week. Just kidding, it's not. I have a special guest, and it's Dan Hunsaker. That's right. No, Adam, I have to bring the no pants energy this time. That's right. Dan is not wearing pants. I mean, I am wearing pants, but I will still bring the no pants energy. You ruin everything. So Adam is unfortunately not able to record with us tonight, but we'll all be together at some point. I am lucky enough that I get to have Dan to talk to about chapter 24 of Order of the Phoenix. That is the book we read for today. Before we start on any of that, you might recognize I'm not drinking and Dan, I think, is so jealous. So I need to catch up and maybe I'll speak more clearly. You might recognize Dan from our special episode from season one, where we were working on our production of Pops and Dan was our director and we did get to interview him for that for a little bit. So he's finally back on like a regular episode. So that's exciting. I believe I even said in that episode that book five was my favorite. I think you- So now here I am in book five. I really think you did. You got like a really good chapter and we got some good stuff we get to talk about. Before we move on with any of like normal stuff, why don't you just tell everyone what your house is and a backstory of you and your Harry Potter history. I am canonically a Gryffindor. I will always maintain that if you actually assess me, I'm like dead center of all four houses, but Pottermore calls me a Gryffindor. So that's what I'm going with. And Harry Potter has kind of been a part of my life since high school. The first time my grandma actually gave it to me, I read to like page 11 and I was like, I'm really not getting into this and put it down. And then like two years later, uh, I picked it back up and got into it, got into the series. And I specifically remember a memory I forget what grade I was in, but it was later in high school. When book six was coming out, I remember reading books one through five in the day before it came out. I have a very vivid memory of sitting on the floor in my living room up against the heat radiator, just reading all five books in like one sitting. And Harry Potter is kind of the first book that ever transported me away as I was reading it. You know, you get into that groove where you're reading and you realize that you've stopped reading and you're literally just watching all of this happen in front of your eyes. Harry Potter is the first book that ever did that to me. That is amazing and I love it. It is time to thank our amazing patrons who help make our website possible and who like to listen to our voices more than maybe they should. Thanks anyway, guys. And those people are Ashley, Brian, Brittany, Jeannie, Layla, Mary Beth, Megan, Meredith, Nisi, Olivia, and Raph. Appreciate your support, guys. You guys are the best. This week, your special patron-only episode will include another one of our favorite screen rant rants. Dan and I will be tearing one of those apart for you. So join us for that. You too can become a patron, just $3 a month for more of our voices in your ears, which is what I know you want. So join our lovely group and get more content. Thanks, guys. Before we talk about the chapter itself, I am going to just do a real quick flashback to the last episode. We talked about chapter 23, which was Christmas on the Closed Ward, and I have chosen a winner and loser for that. This is where they're at St. Mungo's visiting Mr. Weasley and the kids all learn about Neville's parents. It's a really short chapter. And so when Adam and I were done recording that, I realized I did not have a winner or loser, even when we were done recording. It took me like 
a lot of processing, but I'm actually just going to focus on Neville and his grandmother, and I'm going to give her the loss and him the win. The way that they each handle this history of what has happened to Neville's parents deserves to be examined, I guess, here. Like, Neville's very gracious about his own history, and it's not that he's ashamed of his past. He just doesn't talk about it, and his grandmother thinks, you know, he should be, and I find that she's just being very narrow-minded about how he should present himself and about how he should be responding to things, and I think that a lot of people in an older generation don't really do a good job of understanding that people have to process things differently. So what? The older generation doesn't like care about mental health? <laughs> Right? But I was like, I'm not going to give Lockhart the loss. No, you can't. No. Not in that scenario. He has no I mean, idea what's like, going on. He literally lost every chapter in the second book. So, you know, I'll give the guy a break. He doesn't even remember. See, yeah. I would have guessed just kind of thinking back to that chapter that it might have been Harry getting the win just because of the way that he had the emotional maturity to let Neville deal with that grief in whatever way without like interfering. Oh yeah, I think that there's definitely an argument for Harry and I would have not felt bad giving it to him either, but it was trying to find a loser that I was like, you know yeah. what? Let's talk about this because got the trauma that all these children deal with. I wrote a thing. You'll read it for us. It's not fantastic. I say that about everyone I write and Adam usually, if he thinks it's okay, he won't comment on it. If he thinks it's terrible, he'll let me know. Okay. Chapter 24. Occlumency. The time to go back to school is approaching, and before they can all leave, Snape arrives at Grimwald Place to have another dick-measuring contest with Sirius. Luckily, before Harry can be too traumatized by this, the Weasleys return from bringing Arthur home from St. Mungo's. The other reason why Snape shows up is to tell Harry he has to take occlumency lessons with him. So now Harry has even more things to look forward to once he returns to Hogwarts. The children are taken in back to Hogsmeade on the night bus with Tonks and Lupin, and before we know it, it's Monday, and school has started again. Various members of Dumbledore's army ask Harry about their next meeting and he can't set a date and time yet because of his extra lessons with Snape. Cho approaches him and drops a very unsubtle hint about the next Hogsmeade visit being on Valentine's Day. And then it's time for occlumency. Basically, Snape gives Harry a basic definition of occlumency and legitimacy, then proceeds to creep on all Harry's private memories. After several minutes of having Snape prying on Harry's thoughts, he unwittingly uses a stinging hex to defend himself. Snape fires more verbal abuse at him and pulls out more memories before this process causes Harry to realize that the corridor he'd been dreaming about since the summer is in the Department of Mysteries. Harry leaves this lesson super sus of Snape and hurries back to tell Ron and Hermione everything. Exhausted from everything, he decides not to stay up to work on homework and heads back to his dorm after they debrief on their first day back. As he gets back to his dorm, he is suddenly overcome with pain and a weird feeling of euphoria that warns him that Voldy is super happy about something. I just thought about the fact that people read all of these words differently. I mean, it doesn't matter. I always pronounce it occlumency, but I have trouble saying that word. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of those, especially when you get into these later books, there's a lot of things that come up with those words. I've never once in my brain ever thought of anything other than occlumency and legilimens. No, legilimens, I don't know, like that one, whatever. But I was like, oh, maybe I could say it like that. Maybe I won't trip over it anymore. At the beginning of the chapter is Harry having all of these feelings about, I think it's uncomfortable that Creature disappeared and the beginning of all of his like bad feelings. Are oh yeah, out. absolutely. And he's super on point with it too, because 
What is Creature doing in this time? He's at the fucking Malfoy's. What is going through Creature's mind where he's like gone for this month and then comes back, gets in the attic, and then covers himself with dust and cobwebs to fake being gone? Because it specifically says he's covered in dust. Did he plan that and do that himself to put up a ruse? I don't know. He's like, we learn more about Creature in the seventh book. He is so clever. You know, he's been through it. I didn't even think about that. I wonder if he went to Narcissus. I mean, she could have told him, like, you can't let Sirius know you were gone. Like, you have to look like you were somewhere. So, I mean, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a very real scenario that Creature went there and he, like, tried to defect and be like, no, you're my new master. And the Malfoys are like, no, no, no. We need you there. That probably is the reason that Creature stays more so than being loyal to the Blacks, I think there may be a storyline where the Malfoys told him he was needed there. And I that's so fascinated by that. Oh, creature. This whole first part of the chapter, though, is like Harry kind of in this low place because he has to go back to school and there's really nothing for him there. There's oh, yeah, there. absolutely. There's a ton of evidence so. in this chapter, like really defining depression, I guess, mm-hmm. in this year. There's just so many different points where it's like, okay, well, I guess I have to go to back to school. I don't really want to. Like, I have nothing that is keeping me there. There's a, there's a line that's later when he's about to get on the night bus, but it's if he didn't have the DA, then there's no reason for him to go back and he probably wouldn't have. I mean, I think you're right because, you know, it's even when they get off the bus and he wishes he was still on the bus, yeah. it's not great. But before that, I wanted to ask people's thoughts on this. When Mrs. Weasley comes in and she's like, Harry, Professor Snape wants to talk to you. Harry and Ron are playing wizard chess and everyone is watching. Like, this is a fucking athletic event. Well, I mean, you've got the pieces that move and like destroy each other. Be. So I, I feel mean, like... I yeah, that's why I think Crookshanks is watched because Crookshanks is like, I want to eat that. It becomes something akin to like a gladiatorial combat where you. I you're... guess so. I don't know. I feel like I would get bored with it if I were watching. Or I feel like also Harry is not that good at it, or Ron is so good at it that it would get boring to watch, maybe. And then Snape is there, and he is very Snape. Oh. And I want to punch him the whole fucking time he's there. You kind of like pulled out the whole dick measuring contest in the summary, but I think it's really interesting. I was thinking about this a lot, reading the interactions between Snape and Sirius, because you don't get very many of those in the series. I mean, you've got the interactions in book three, and I think this, I don't remember any other specific major battling in all of those Snape kind of naturally has the upper hand really just uses it to his advantage I feel like Sirius could totally best him but situationally Snape just always has the advantage and it, it sucks to never get that interaction where Sirius can meet him on a level playing field I mean you're 100% right on that I also think that as much as I hate Snape all the time he manages to be even more unlikable when he's interacting with his peers on this level mm-hmm. you are showing the world why lily chose james also because she doesn't like dark arts but it's just real gross and real immature and like behaving like that in front of one of your students is stupid and this is the student's guardian and you're being like this it's just so cool i literally wrote down in my notes why is the 15 year old the most responsible one in the room because the 15 year old is hairy and then i was like "Mm, no i would put ron in that room and i'd still feel like he's more responsible and that's saying something i love that they're like literally about to duel and then the weasleys come back and they're all like da 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 we're so happy papa weasley's good and there's like 
an actual duel about to happen. And then he leaves because he's like, I'm so fucking important. I got shit to do. I'm the one. It's so gross. Ron and Hermione's reactions are perfect. Completely expected. I don't understand how anybody can actually be with Hermione in some of this fifth year stuff that, that hits in this vein where Hermione is just very obstinately the rule follower to the point where it is a true fault. There's a lot of things that I remember from the fifth book of Hermione just being like, well, we have to do this because that's just what makes sense. I wonder if it's her trying to make it for the fact that she literally was the catalyst for an illegal group forming. (laughs) Because other than that, which is obviously a huge thing, I think you're right. I think it also has to do with maybe how she defines their own safety in her mind. Because inherently there is a little bit of risk with Harry dabbling in whatever visions he's been having but she's fully supportive of the DA because if they didn't have any level of practical exam then they're also far less safe. Right. I find this to be probably the most problematic book for Hermione to the point where when she is right when she is making good points I just don't want to give it to her because I'm just so frustrated. You know, also, why is Mundungus at dinner? Why does this guy keep getting to come over for dinner? I personally don't mind Mundungus being around as much as he is because I think he is one of the more useful members of the order. I like, think he does- he's- fully stuck but also you have to think he doesn't really have anywhere else to go this is his best meal ticket of course he's gonna keep coming there and they're gonna let him because his talents are absolutely worth dealing with his shittiness yeah you're right i just find him so annoying and then before they get on the night bus harry gets the package from sirius i actually have a little bit before that that i think is actually um really pertinent because there's the whole moment where they come into breakfast and they make a big deal out of all of the adults are there talking and then they walk in the room and it goes silent i wrote down adults not trusting children leads to children not trusting adults so i don't think there's anything devious happening in that conversation but the fact that every time harry's walked into a room in christmas break and has come on all these secret conversations or not gotten all of the information he asked about you know mr weasley's health or any of that it's just adding to this story that these adults are hiding things from him. We get this package from Sirius and he looks at it and he's like, well, I don't care what this is. I'm never going to look at it. And I think that is all built on the fact that these adults are excluding him specifically from all of this pertinent information. I love that. I'm at this point where I gloss over things like that because it's just been happening nonstop. This is the last gathering like this that we get before all hell breaks loose because they go back to school. On that point, I have what I think is a really hot take here. Mr. Weasley is the most responsible and best adult in the series. My stance on that comes from this trope called a false buffoon. And it's kind of like Mr. Magoo or the Pink Panther but a little more intentional where they really lead you on with how stupid they're being, but they actually know exactly what they're doing. And I think Mr. Weasley is absolutely the king of that. You see a lot of times in the series where he specifically does the opposite of all that to Harry, where he'll come in, play stupid and get all of the kids guards down. You know, the first time that he meets Harry, he knows what the fuck a rubber duck is, but that's like the first question he asks. How would you not know what a 
rubber duck is. Right. It's just something to make the kid laugh. And, and there's so much evidence throughout where he's doing this to disarm Harry's worries or any of the other children. Like in the beginning of this book, when he's taking them to the trial, oh no, I don't know how to use this muggle money. And I don't know how to do this thing. And this isn't normally the way I go to work. So let's focus on that and not about your anxiety about the trial that you're about to get into. And Mr. Weasley constantly has that energy where he is making the children feel more important than they are. That, in my opinion, makes him the greatest adult in the series. Oh my God, I love that so much. I also agree with you, I think. You hear that, Adam? Mr. Weasley has unseated Quen Molly. Mr. Weasley also a Quen, let's be clear. So yeah, then fateful package that we don't need to discuss anymore because that one hurts. Yeah. But more of the trepidation that Harry is feeling is through this whole first half of the chapter. Whenever I read this chapter, I always think like, this is why I trust Harry's instincts. Absolutely. He makes a lot of stupid decisions, but the information that he makes those decisions on is always good. Correct. The end of this book is such a tragedy, but it's actually not really necessarily a tragedy that is Harry's fault. Once the ball starts rolling, he can't go back. Then they get on the bus and Stan Shunpike is not subtle at all about seeing Harry. Yeah, he works real hard to support the predispositions that he already has. He gets on there and he's like, oh yeah, you didn't seem like a nutter, but I guess you really were. All of the papers have said you're crazy. And even though my personal experience with you says otherwise, I'm going to believe the papers. This guy is such a dimwit, which tracks. (laughs) Also, who the fuck chooses to ride on the night bus? What kind of people are they getting that are super okay with like, well, I'm going to get on this bus every day, but my chair is going to fall over every time we stop. When Ron was like, oh, I've always wanted to do this, and he quickly changes his mind. Right, but there are clearly people who, like, regularly commute that way. Like this Madame Marsh who... She clearly... sounded like it was her first time. Really? Yeah, because the reason she gets off is because she's seasick. That's true. I just figured because they knew her name, you know, but I guess they learn your name when you get on. You know, some people don't get motion sickness. Maybe some people use magic and are like, here's a sticking charm on my chair because I know magic because I'm a wizard. The number of people who refuse to do magic to do the things that they can like fix. Yeah, if I were in this world, I would be doing so many more spells than all of the people ever do. Right? I haven't really thought about that, but you get that experience in the second book with Molly doing all the cooking and everything, and she's got knives floating all over the place and and all this shit happening, and then you kind of get to this point where it's like, no, we don't really use magic that much. It's cheating. No, just cheat. That's the whole fucking point. I don't understand. Okay, they get back to school, and Harry wishes he were still on the night bus. And then the next day is Harry's favorite potion, yeah. which is not great. People harassing Harry. Zachariah Smith being like, oh, you take Romito potions. <laughs> well, and yet further evidence on Harry's depression at the moment where there was a line that was something like he couldn't really commit to making a date and time for the DA because he's got so many other stressors that he just yeah. can't even think about it at this point in time. When I read it, it felt like he was like I'll get to it when I get to it like let me get through all of the shit that I have first. I imagine Harry is in this constant state of exhaustion just from being himself before he has to do anything else like go to classes and run the DA and back when he used to play Quidditch or homework like I think before any of that this entire book he's in this constant state of exhaustion 
I think because he's so depressed and guess what? Wizards don't have anyone to help you with that. No. Where is the wizard psychiatry class? For real. You know who I wanted to teach that, even though they're not qualified? Tonks. Oh, hell yeah. She is one of the most emotionally mature in the entire series, for sure. I also appreciate that Ron is like, can I jinx Zach Smith for being a douchebag? Like, oh, he lines up the shot and everything. It, right, it, he's That wand was between his shoulder blades. Ron is super loyal in this book. And then Cho was around, and this is the most awkward conversation ever until their next conversation. Like, every conversation the two of them have, it's like, can we make it more yeah. next time? Yeah, I cannot wait to hear the episode on the result of this conversation and just hear you guys talk about the actual date that they go on. It's going to be the worst. That is the ultimate awkward conversation in the entire goddamn series. Y'all can hate on Lavender Brown all you want. Harry and Cho are way more awkward. Oh, way, way more awkward. <laughs> and then it's time for occlumency, and that is not fun. So the first thing I want to say about this lesson, obviously I am not a master of this form of magic. And if I were actively practicing my wizarding abilities, which we can't talk about because the world thinks for muggles, this is something that I don't think I'd be good at. See, I think I would be extremely good at it. I could be good at the occlumency part, but the legilimens I wouldn't. I would oh, yeah. I would yeah. be better at blocking than peeking. I feel like I would have some level of aptitude towards both, but I would definitely be better at the blocking. But this is not teaching just because you know how to do it. Like that is right. my biggest no, I, I literally wrote down, and this was more about him trying to define what occlumency was, but I have occlumency equals Snape jacking himself off. This is just more of him being able to be like, look at me. Can yes, this is a very difficult thing for most wizards. Very few have the power to do this in front of the Dark Lord. I don't think I ever really thought much about it until I was reading this specifically taking notes on it, but just... Every time he says Dark Lord and him being one of the only ones that calls him Dark Lord and everybody else is he who must not be named or whatever, it's just really striking of even if you're not on his team, you're in his pocket. The way that he does that in front of Harry, who he knows, knows that he is a Death Eater. It's like, you can't do anything about this. I can walk in this room and I can do anything I want. I don't understand how Harry did not immediately just go to Dumbledore the second he got back to school was like, absolutely not. Right. Figure this out. You know, obviously Dumbledore would have overridden him and been like, but no, Snape's my buddy. It's okay. Oh, he's just awful. And this is just another one of his ways that he can hurt Harry. And he doesn't tell him what to do. Like, that's my biggest oh, question. Absolutely not. Harry's it's like, you're not telling me what to do. And he's like, just take everything out of your mind. No one can do that. The first one that he does immediately, he doesn't give him any warning. He's like, all right, let's start now. Go. The second time he at least counts him in. But what, he, what do you mean go? What do I do? <laughs> yeah, he very clearly tells him absolutely nothing. And he's like, I'm just going to make you experience this, which is just despicable, honestly. It's it honestly is. I guess the idea of this is that if Harry becomes good at this, then he can like kind of close his mind before he goes to bed at night. And mm. that's like when he's most vulnerable. Here's the other thing is the second you tell someone to turn their mind off, that's why all these things are rushing to the front of his head. This is all the stuff that's in his head. I don't want Snape to see these things. If you tell me I'm going to read your mind, I'm suddenly I'm gonna be like, all the things that I don't want this person to see are going to be there. Like that is just what happens unless you're a Snape because he's apparently perfect at this shit. Absolutely. And I feel like Harry's actually doing way better than Snape lets on. I think Snape even thinks that Harry is doing better and 
kind of says it out loud, but can't go too far. He can't compliment him. Absolutely. I mean, the entire time he spends it tearing Harry down. But if you actually look at the streams of memories he has, there's a lot of evidence that like he's actually turning things in a good way. Because like if you look at the first one specifically, you start off with Dudley riding his bike, which is, okay, Snape's bullying me. Here's another bully I had in my life. So it's like top of the mind. And then it goes to Ripper, the dog chasing him up a tree, more bullying that he felt that bullying leads to him sitting under the sorting hat and telling him it would be in Slytherin. So that's turning it back towards himself. And then Hermione laying in the hospital wing with her face covered with thick black hair is related to Slytherin. And he's like starting to actually get control of his thoughts. And then you get the Dementors coming near him to give him the kiss of death. And then he turns it into a positive memory of that kiss with Cho. And that's what finally breaks it. So like You get this actually very linear progression of his thoughts. I'm in no way a psychologist, but it really feels like he is controlling those emotions and taking it towards something that is better. I think you're right. I did want to point out that the only thing that comes up during these times twice is the Dementors. That's interesting. There's like a parallel there with when he would have those darker memories and feelings when he is around Dementors. Sometimes he can't control what his thoughts are doing. I noticed that when I was reading and I was like, oh, he goes there twice. Honestly, why did Dumbledore not just go, Harry, please go see Professor Flitwick and have him teach you to do a relaxing charm before bed or something? Like, why the fuck is this the thing we're doing? Well, (laughs) another question that I had, and I, I I wasn't sure if it made more sense to bring it up at the beginning of this chapter in the like showdown between Snape and, and Sirius or now. How much do you think Snape wanted to do this lessons and how much do you think what was forced on him? I wonder about that too. I think that Dumbledore was like, I can't do it. You have to do it. And Snape was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do it my way. Like that's kind of the progression that I see. I think that's definitely a real possibility. And I have definitely some belief that it is that way, but I, there's a part of my mind that also thinks that maybe Snape brought this up to Dumbledore and kind of volunteered himself. And Dumbledore is just like, well, okay, that seems like it could be a useful route. But I don't know the truth behind whether Dumbledore thinks this is the best option to keep Harry safe from these visions or if it's just... Yeah, it couldn't hurt. I didn't think of it that way, but I think that there's also a possibility there. Harry keeps asking these clarifying questions and, you know, gets another dismissive adult that is like, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know that portion. But one of those questions is, how do you know the Dark Lord knows that he can turn this connection around? Like, how do you know he's aware of it now? It doesn't matter how he knows. He knows. Take my word for it. I'm wondering (laughs) if however Snape figured out that Voldemort knows, you know, maybe he had some personal interaction in one of his visits, Voldemort let on this connection exists. And then Snape took it upon himself to be like, this is the thing we need to close off. Really fascinating. Yeah. Everyone knows how much I hate Snape, but I do actually wish that we got more explanation of Snape and Voldemort, the time between when we learn the prince's tale in the last book, we learn that they meet after the Triwizard Tournament. And then you like, don't really see that in the progression of Snape's story. Absolutely. Till the end, you know, I'm like, oh, there could be more there. Right. The other thing that I kind of thought about that might support that is I think the reason Snape pushes occlumency so hard is because he can't imagine a way of fighting Voldemort's strongest power, which is his legitimacy, without anything other than a direct 
opposite force that is occlumency. I mean, I think in the end, we know Harry becomes trash at occlumency and just completely ignores it and goes this totally other route of let me focus on the powers that I have that Voldemort can understand. Right. And I don't think Snape would ever be able to see that path forward. He's very much, you have to fight it head on with this directly opposing force. That is the biggest strength of Snape other than him being like, yes, him being a double agent is obviously a huge thing to help move us through the progression of this story. But he also knows and understands Voldemort better than any of the quote unquote good guys, Mm -hmm. you know, and he also knows and understands Dumbledore and he knows and refuses to try to understand Harry, but he's the only person that we have that can be in both places. And so I think that it had this been Dumbledore's idea, because obviously we don't know, he would have been like, um, yes, this is the only way we can fight this. So I think that it's really kind of interesting to point that out because he would know. Dumbledore wouldn't. Dumbledore's not been hanging out with Boldy. You know, sure. the whole lesson is just really uncomfortable and not very kind. Yeah, I think we can all agree that Snape is one of the worst teachers. He okay. might be great at his subjects. Yeah, he's not a great teacher. Honestly, I am pleased that Harry accidentally sends a stinging hex at him. Good job, Harry. And I just don't understand how it can be useful to just keep yelling at a child to close your mind and stop doing this. That's not helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. During this time, Harry realizes about the Bird of Mysteries. Right. And actually that section too, it's really interesting that that's the one that Snape stops because Harry kind of has that realization and keeps crawling down that memory. And Snape is the one that actually has to stop that session. Because he wants to know more. Mm I wonder about this because Snape is the first one of the order to know that Harry has this whole thing about the Department of Mysteries. I wonder what's going through his mind when Harry's like, so what's up with the Department of Mysteries? Obviously, Snape knows what's up with the Department of Mysteries. Does Snape know all of that, though? I wouldn't know if he would know about what Voldemort's doing, but he definitely would know about what the Order is doing because that's what they're doing right now, and he's a member of the Order. I would imagine. I mean, I don't don't know. Dumbledore's a crazy bitch, and he might be like, nope. It's definite that he would know that they are trying to protect the Hall of Mysteries, but does he know that the reason is the prophecy? He might not know that, but he definitely would know something. Like, if Harry were mentioning the Department of Mysteries, and that was just randomly came up out of nowhere... I feel like Snape would be like, oh, this is not probably okay. But I wonder if he would go tell Dumbledore or if he would just keep it to himself because he's a dick. More reasons to want to punch him in the face. Then Harry finds Ron and Hermione, people working on homework. Madam Pence is being Madam Pence, creeping around, being mad at people for existing like she do. Harry gives them the lowdown on occlumency and they know that Snape is a dick so he probably doesn't need to go that much into detail on that part. They come up with the realization about Sturgis Podmore. Harry being like oh that must have been where your dad was Ron and then finally understanding how all this is coming together. Flashback to like the beginning of the book when Sturgis Podmore gets arrested for trying to break in and more pieces of the puzzle are falling into place and then Harry's like I gotta go to bed. This is not very fun for me. And I love that Fred and George have their headless hats. And yeah, Hermione is impressed. Like, oh my God, how did you get this to do this? You guys are way more talented than you think you are. I think Hermione is very well aware. She's probably the only person who's actively thinking about the fact that Fred and George are really fucking good at magic. Yeah, she tells Harry to write things in his planner and then it's like, huh, just kidding. You shouldn't write this. You should do it instead. And I was like, this homework planner, I'm with Harry. Throw it in the fire. Oh, absolutely. And she's so smug about it. 
I appreciate that you're trying to help the boys get their homework done. You literally gave them like an extension of yourself. And if they don't listen to you, they're not going to listen to your book. And then Harry tries to go upstairs. He has this like weird physical reaction. It's very weird because he doesn't see anything. He's just in pain. And then he feels Voldemort's happiness. And he's like laughing maniacally. And it's kind of got to be creepy as fuck. Yeah, I imagine it's like one of those things where you get in so much pain that your vision just like goes white. I think he just loses his surroundings and gets nothing other than an emotional response of Voldemort's joy if he's capable of feeling such a thing. Also, this is another one of those instances where I was like, you know, because it happened right before Christmas when Harry had his dream where a child is in enough pain that maybe they shouldn't be staying in their dorm. Ron is like, okay, well now I guess I have to deal with this. Well, As let's like, all go to bed. This is a lot for 15-year-olds to handle. You guys ready for a game? This is not that great of a game, but we'll try it. So we play Fuck, Mary Kill a lot. Mm -hmm. I could not think of a good game for this chapter. It's mostly just very intense. And so I decided to do a double Fuck, Mary Kill. And it's about Harry's memories. I have three not so great memories and three okay memories. Fuck, marry, and kill. The decent memories. The first one is fighting the dragon at the Triwizard Tournament. The second one is kissing Cho. And the third one is seeing his parents for the first time in the mirror of Parasite. I think I'm going to kill kissing Cho. It's an interesting memory and it's kind of pertinent to this book. But long term, it just doesn't matter. Can totally get away with that. Definitely fuck fighting the dragon because that's going to be a good time. And then absolutely marry seeing your parents for the first time because that is a feeling that you would want to persist on. Absolutely. Those are actually all of my answers too. (laughs) These are completely a different feeling. So not great memories. Ripper the dog chasing Harry up the tree. Cedric's death and the Dementors coming at him across the lake. This one is a lot harder. Um, I, I would definitely marry the Dementors because that is terrifying in its own right, but it has a good ending to it. You know, Harry had a lot of growth at that moment in himself. So I feel like there's at least something to be gained from that. The other two are really hard though. And I feel like I have to kill Cedric dying because then you just kind of one and done get rid of that. And then fuck Ripper chasing up the tree, which is... <laughs> I know. It's it's one of those things where it's like, when it's not a person, it's really weird, but you just have to yeah. go with it. I am killing Cedric's death as well. The idea of marrying or fucking that seems really wrong. And I'm going to marry Ripper the dog, chasing him up the tree, and I'm going to fuck the Dementors, because okay. I feel like that's one of those life-changing moments where afterward you're like, I just want to have feeling. So there's that. There's not really a movie section because... Good, because I don't own the movie. Literally just goes right to the next Occlumency lesson that we get in the book. So... Perfect. We can see Mr. Weasley come home in the movie. That's it. There's really nothing there. So movie... Do they do this scene between Sirius and Snape? Oh, no. No, because they threw the Occlumency in before they go to Grimmauld Place. And then the time of Grimmauld Place is just very short. And there's these extra added things with Harry and Sirius that at some point we probably need to talk about, but it doesn't really fit here either. So... And then I don't know if Adam wants to add his points in. So Adam, put your points in here if you want them. 
I sure do. Hi, everybody. It is Editing Adam here. Sorry I couldn't be here for this episode and the next episode, but I will be back after that, and I'm sure I'll probably tell you why I was unable to attend for these recording sessions. But Tara and Dan have been great, right? So anyways, here's my point. I don't have a lot. Let's start with positive points. I'm going to give 10 to Tonks because when she bid them farewell when they were about to go to Hogwarts, she gave a really reassuring goodbye to Harry, which I think is really great. It's also a moment with an adult that is not serious. That's a positive interaction. We haven't seen a lot of that in this chapter. So 10 points to Tonks. I am also going to give Harry 20 points because this is another rough chapter. I mean, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. The chapter even says that this is the one time where he did not want to return to Hogwarts, which right there says something. Not only that, but amid all of this, he still mustered up the courage to ask out Cho as awkward as it was. And he also didn't do that bad during Occlumency, truly, despite what fucking Snape says. Speaking of, let's get into negative points. First, negative five to Stan Shunpike, because like Tara said, he is totally like a dumbass. So negative five to him. He could have used a little bit more social cues on interacting with Harry. And the only other person I'm taking points away from is, of course, Snape. Since Umbridge isn't in this chapter, someone else has to take the biggest asshole award, and it is Snape. I will admit, I was going to take a lot more away from Snape. He is going to get 35 taken away. I was going to take out way more because of everything that Dan and Tara had said his approach when they were at Grimmauld Place in front of his guardian is completely unprofessional. I don't care who that is, if it's your high school bully or whatever. This is Harry's guardian. You need to treat him with some respect and getting into a fight in his own house is completely unacceptable. The reason why I didn't take away as much points is that even though his approach in teaching occlumency is incomplete, completely horrible. The fact that he doesn't tell him what to do, that he just kind of like attacks him out of the blue without any warning. He does give some real richness to the reason behind this. It's a little bit of a cop-out, I suppose, but only 35 away from him. I was actually going to take some from Sirius too, but I think, and Tarim will correct me, I'm sure, I think this might be the last goodbye between Harry and Sirius before the end of the book. But on top of that, he probably could have been a little bit more composed when with Snape too, but like I already said, Snape is insulting him in his own house in front of his godson. It's fine. No points taken or given to Sirius. One final little note, I really, really appreciate Tara and Dan and Victoria, who is going to be in the next episode for doing these without me. I'm so sorry I could not be there. So plus 20 to each of you. That's it. Have fun not listening to me for another episode. I Goodbye. Next time, Dan will be back with us, as well as Victoria, and we'll have another Ravenclaw on here. We have lots of Ravenclaws on this show. So next time will be a very special episode where we talk about the popular Very Potter musical. So join us for that, and yeah, everyone have a good night. I hope I sufficiently no-pants energied all over that episode. That is my closing thought. You sure did. Basic Snitches is recorded and produced by Adam Bowers and Tara Gorkery. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice and share us with all your other friends who love Harry Potter and getting drunk. Yes. 
join our social media pages facebook instagram i never update twitter but we have that we do also email basic snitches at gmail.com we also now have a website basic snitches.com and a patreon patreon.com slash basic snitches join today and get exclusive content every week and be acknowledged in every single one of our episodes taran telegra dance bitch I see you new friends who don't make me dance for nothing. Yeah, they ain't gonna come, honey. We out! <laughs>